Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, this is Football Social Daily, a fresh podcast every day covering off all the latest news, views and more opinion than you can shake a corner flag at. I'm Jim Sowerson and unusually for a Monday, we're not going to be looking back at the weekend's games because there weren't any. All matches across every level of football in England cancelled this weekend as a mark of respect for Her Majesty the Queen and her passing. But on reflection... Was it the right call? We'll talk about the rights and the potential wrongs of that decision in a bit on Football Social Daily. There have also been two managers breaking their silences following recent departures with Thomas Tuchel taking to social media to comment on his time at Chelsea and his replacement Graham Potter writing an open letter to Brighton fans following his exit. We'll be trying to read between the lines of those statements on today's podcast. But as it's Monday, it's time for a moan. Clear the air before we get into the week and kicking off with a bit of a whinge, Nar McCorn and Joel Tudor on the podcast today. Are you feeling grumpy, lads? I'm ready to shake my fist <laughs> firmly <laughs> in the air. We're Man ready, shouts ready. at cloud. Good. Right. So we're starting off with our traditional get in the sea. It's an opportunity to have a whinge about the weekend's football action. As I said, not a lot of football action today to talk about because it was all cancelled across the weekend. But hopefully you boys have found something to have a little bit of a whinge about all the same. Niall, what have you got? Well, I have two, and one of them I think we're going to probably touch upon a little bit later in the podcast. So I will save that and keep that under my belt for the time being, and I will have a go at VAR once again. Oh, good. Obviously, obviously not in the Premier League or the Football League or anything like that because there was no games in English or Scottish football this weekend. But there was Serie A, the Italian league, which is, I still think it's brilliant. And I think a lot of people of a certain age and a certain generation have a fondness towards Serie A because of Football Italia mm. and the kind of Gascoigne era, the, the iconic era of Italian football of Serie A, 90s yeah. football. Arguably football is better now in Italy than it was in the 90s where uh, it was probably. a bit of a dirge. But I get what you mean. It's, but it's kind got of that like nostalgia, nostalgia element, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? And um, when I saw Juventus were playing yesterday... 
I thought, do you know what? I'll give that a watch. There's no other football on. So I'll give it a bit of a watch. And they were playing Salernitana, which are a, a team who have done extremely well to stay in Serie A. And Salernitana were winning the game by two goals to one. And it was deep into added time. And it looked like they were going to pull off a famous victory. This small minnow of a club are going to beat the mighty Juventus at Juventus Stadium. That sort of thing doesn't happen in Turin. And in the end, it didn't happen because Juventus pulled one back to make it 2-2. And then crazily, they had a corner right at the end to make it 3-2. And they did. Juventus scored. They had turned it around. Arkadiusz Milik managed to stoop a header into the far corner. But there was a bit of drama because it went to VAR. And VAR told the referee to go over to the side screen and have a look. And they told him to go and have a look for an offside decision, Mm. which I thought is very strange. We don't get that in the Premier League. Normally, offside is decided pure and simple by the blokes in the VAR room and not Mm. by the referee. The referee, that if he goes over to the monitor, is normally to look at things like a bad tackle or a handball, something like that, but never normally for an offside. So that was a little bit strange for me. Was it down to it being interfering with play? From the angle that the referee was shown on the screen... It certainly was looking like Bonucci was in the goalkeeper's eye line and in an offside position mm. and making a movement towards the ball. So therefore, you can understand why the goal was ruled out. However, the reverse angle shows that there's a Salonitana player near to the corner flag who is playing Bonucci significantly onside and that the goal should have stood. So he just wasn't shown the right angle. So he wasn't shown the right angle. So he's thrown under the bus by his own VAR colleagues and it was just a shambles considering how much stick we gave the Premier League for their poor VAR decisions two weeks ago I think it's only fair that we do say that other leagues get it wrong from time to time as well and this was a big one because Arkadiusz Milik in scoring a goal to turn it around two goals in the last three or four minutes to make it 3-2 after they were 2-1 down took his shirt off in delight and celebrated with the fans and his teammates he was already on a yellow card he got booked for taking his shirt off and therefore was sent off I think he was quite happy to take the one-game ban in exchange for the three points for his yeah. team until the goal got ruled out and therefore he's been sent off for taking his shirt off for celebrating a goal that didn't stand. And then it all developed into handbags and there was a massive scrap. Manager got sent off, two further players, three further players got sent off, I think. So it was just all a bit of chaos. But um, yeah, VAR for me, having watched Serie A, I don't know whether I want to put it in the sea because I, I seem to do this all the time, but... It was refreshing in a strange way that the Premier League is not the only league making horrific say, decisions. Isn't that quite nice to see the Premier League? VAR isn't just a problem it with is. the Premier League. Cause we blame our officials a lot. It's a problem across the board. It is nice to see, but also it just reverts back to the original point, which is get VAR in the sea and just get rid of it entirely yeah. because Although, these things are going to keep happening. If you watch the Europa League game, West Ham's game at the weekend against FSCB, the... Stade Bucharest. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, the two goals that West Ham scored, the first two goals, no VAR in the Europa League conference at this stage. It comes in in the semi-finals, I think. So there's no VAR at this stage. Both goals that West Ham scored, one was a penalty given for a foul on the, the player from the keeper, foul on Corne, was never a foul. Second one was a huge offside decision that was got wrong. Both in West Ham's favour. So as a West Ham fan, I'm happy. But as a someone who likes to see fairness in football... That's kind of why VAR was brought in in the first place. Well, just to even build on that point, I was at a Europa League game on Thursday between a Premier League team and a Spanish team, both teams in the top divisions of, of their respective nations, and VAR was in operation there. Manchester United on Thursday go to Sheriff Tiraspol in Moldova. Mm. Now, I don't know whether they have VAR in Moldova, but because it's the Europa League, VAR will be in operation They've also got Ammonia Nicosia from Cyprus 
So why is it that the Europa Conference League has only got VAR up after a certain stage when there's clubs like Sheriff and clubs like Mm. Ammonia Nicosia in certainly less established divisions that are being afforded the luxury of VAR? Why is Stade Bucharest, who have been a Champions League team in the past, I'm sure their stadium can cope with VAR. Why is it? I don't get that. I wonder if it's something to do with the cost of implementation but well, surely, you it should know, be uni- surely it should be uniform don't you think across all UEFA competition yeah, should be if you know at the sports social on Twitter let us know right that's VAR Italia put in the bin <laughs> by Niall I'm going to go next with my thing I'm going to put in the sea and I'm going to put well I don't know whether it's Barcelona or La Liga in the sea it's probably La Liga to be honest because you might have seen in the papers over the weekend the Mirror reporting that Barcelona are now interested in signing again. We've talked about this before, signing Bernardo Silva from Manchester City because they're allowed to do this because La Liga have increased the club's salary cap by £490 million, a huge hike enabling them to sign players and register players again. And I don't understand how a sport can be seen to be fair and competitive when Liga constantly bend and rewrite the rules to help out the two biggest teams in the Liga in the shape of Barcelona and Real Madrid. Now, I shouldn't say that there's no suggestion that this change in salary cap is corrupt in any way. Barcelona have done some interesting financial juggling over the summer period. They've sold a load of digital rights, etc. And they have managed to raise extra cash. But these are tools that aren't available to the smaller clubs in the Liga. And I think this kind of activity where a team is able to buy itself out of trouble, essentially, adds validation to the idea that if there were ever to be a Super League, that Super League would hugely favour the big clubs because it is proof that there is a vested interest in the likes of the Liga, maybe even the Premier League, maybe even Serie A, supporting the bigger clubs and making sure those cash cows continue to be top of their league. Yeah. If I was a Spanish football fan, I just think I would be absolutely furious, particularly if I was a fan of a pretender like Atletico Madrid, who don't have the riches of Real Madrid and Barcelona and consistently find themselves in the top four of La Liga, that Barcelona can pretty much just do what they want. They can sign who they want. And the consequences of financial mismanagement from that football club seem nil at the moment. I just think it's... it's, I don't like the idea that football is corrupt, but I think activity like this and changes like this and rules like this suggest there is certainly a favouritism towards big clubs. The best example I can use in terms of you know bending the rules was when Barcelona signed Martin Braithwaite from Leganes and then they went down because Barcelona were allowed to sign the striker on this emergency deal mm. and that didn't you know extend to Leganes so they were not able to buy a replacement striker mm. and in the end they paid for it with their La Liga status and then earlier this summer so they can register players Barcelona terminated Braithwaite's contract and just said, thanks, lad. Done your bit. See you later. You know, it's just like the way that they've gone about it is certainly not one the many plaudits or many fans. You know, you think about that era where Pep Guardiola was the manager and they had Iniesta and Xavi and Messi and Pedro and these mm. other players who were just playing this unbelievable football, winning Champions Leagues, making every other team look inferior. All of that glitziness and all of that attractiveness about Barcelona for me now is completely washed away. They won a lot of fans and a lot of a lot of people's hearts. Actually, yeah. people said I like watching Barcelona now. I feel a little bit like I'd rather they did do terribly. Mm. I quite enjoyed seeing them suffer in the Europa League last season. Thought they deserved it. That's another point. But I, I do agree. I do think that 
you know, the the top end of, of La Liga is geared towards those two teams being successful. And it's in the interests of the Spanish league for Barcelona to be competitive, isn't it? Very La Liga so. will want that. Very much so. So there we go. La Liga getting in the sea for me. Joel, wrap us up. What have you got? Uh, so it was in response to an interview that Anthony Martial's just recently done with French fo- uh, France Football, the one of the biggest magazines in France. And it's basically him just telling his side of the story after he had a pretty difficult time under Solskjaer and under, especially under Jose Mourinho as well. My point towards it is against Solskjaer and Mourinho after going with his comments. And it's just a kind of interesting conversation to be had about how much a player should be able to talk when he gets so much criticism from fans and play from fans and pundits and everyone else he wants to give an opinion and yet he can't say anything apart from trying to show his worth on the pitch mm. and his comments were basically firstly about Jose Mourinho i think during his first season with him he was in probably the form of his life since that first season under van gaal and if everyone remembers he ended up bringing in alexis sanchez just shortly after and Martial basically says that that's pretty much cost him his World Cup place because then Martial went to the bench. He tried to play him on the right wing, which he'll never, ever do. And that stopped him from getting a World Cup trophy, pretty much. And then there was the other case of Zlatan Ibrahimovic coming in, which was Mourinho's first second signing. And obviously Ibrahimovic wanted the number nine shirt, which Martial occupied. And... I think Mourinho was trying to sell him the number 11, saying, oh, Ryan Giggs wore this shirt. You'll be amazing under it. And he said, no, I want my shirt. And then he came back with the number 11 shirt in his dressing room locker. And he basically just said how much of a lack of disrespect it was because I feel like with any other player in the squad, just because he was the younger guy, he's almost targeted him in a way. And I kind of felt for him in this interview because then he also went on to say about how Solskjaer was playing him for four months. And during those four months, it was just after the COVID season, he said he couldn't accelerate for four months during that period. Yet Solskjaer insisted on playing him and he basically hung him out to dry in the media and didn't defend him when he was getting so much criticism because he wasn't putting in amazing performances, but he said he was injured during that time. And even Marcus Rashford actually backs up that point after we lost that Europa League final to Sevilla when he said... Uh, Marcus Rashford said shortly after, you know, there's six or seven players in that dressing room have fought through injuries throughout this season, and yet we still keep going, we still play. And then it just kind of brings this really interesting debate up as to whether players should be allowed to kind of contest or defend themselves whenever they're injured or whether, whether they're going through mental health issues or private issues. Because as we've seen, especially, you know, with the likes of Paul Pogba and all these high profile players, they're never really able to defend themselves. The challenge is it do, just comes across quite a lot as making excuses or whinging, doesn't it? That's, yeah. the, that's the kind of challenge. And, and, and I appreciate the players have issues mentally and physically. Which impacts them on the pitch. It does, yeah. But then their only way to reply, apparently, is to respond on the pitch. But everyone knows, doesn't matter what profession you're in, if you're going through things off the office or off the profession at home, whether it's your injuries or your mental, which is taking effect on you, you're going to have influences in your performance and yet managers are able to basically decide how they set the agenda based on what player Mm. and they've got to just take the criticism. I think as well with Martial, in all fairness, everyone knows he's a very good player, but he's just never fit. And Manchester United need to try and keep him fit. But Martial for himself needs to keep himself fit because as we saw in the games this season, he's come off the bench against Liverpool, was it, and looked brilliant. But then all of a sudden he's got an injured Achilles and hasn't played for the last three Mm. games after that. 
it's got to come down to what you do on the pitch ultimately, hasn't it? And we can feel sympathy for Anthony Martial for the reasons he's not performed, whether it's the manager didn't fancy him, the manager played him in the wrong position, he's been injured, he's had mental health problems, whatever it is, you can feel sympathy for him. But ultimately, it's still got to come down to what he's delivered. And that is how he will be measured. No matter what the extenuating circumstances around that are, it's got to come down to his output. I mean, but when, especially with Mourinho, he's, I think he's probably the biggest case of a manager where if he doesn't fancy you, you know about it and you're pretty much going to be just mm. outcasted. As we saw, if everyone remembers, with Schweinsteiger, Mourinho even said after that that he regretted the way he treated him because he came in and put him into the under-21 reserves for no reason. And then Schweinsteiger, you know, a legend of football, was left to just play with the kids. I didn't really get a reason for mm. it. And then I remember Luke Shaw as well. as another great example where Mourinho came in and was making all these comments in the press conferences about how he was controlling him on the on the touchline. And the fact that Luke Shaw was always going through injuries as well, I feel like players have a lot of pressure now because if they don't play through the injuries, they've got so much competition for places that if they don't play for two, three months, they might end up losing their career at that club. So for me, it depends because Martial at United under Solskjaer was amazing for two and a half years. And then obviously he had this period where he feels as though Solskjaer basically was a traitor towards him and didn't defend him in the in the press. I mean, it's 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 difficult to see which side which side of the scale to tip yourself on. But with Mourinho, I can feel for him on that case because he was our best player when he came in, and then he signed Sanchez and he was nowhere to be seen ever again after that. So sometimes it's a case of if a manager doesn't doesn't fancy you, you can't do anything about mm-hmm. it, no matter how much effort you put in. Whereas sometimes it can be a case of you've got to take accountability. But if you've got stuff going off on the pitch. I mean, surely your manager should be able to protect you a little mm. bit. So what are we putting in the sea here, Joel? Anyone who's not a member of the Anthony Martial fan club? <laughs> no, don't, don't get me wrong, I'm not like an agenda to Anthony Martial, but I think it's a case of player management and just understanding situations. So for this occasion, I will say Mourinho and Solskjaer, okay. but I do feel as though, the, especially Mourinho, he, everything he said about <laughs> what happened has come true. So okay. Get in the sea, Jose Mourinho. Next, we're going to talk about the topic that I think probably a few of us might have wanted to put in the sea this weekend, a lack of football across all levels of the English game because of the death of Queen Elizabeth II and a mark of respect for her passing. We'll get into it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. I'm sure no matter what corner of the globe you're in at the moment, you're aware that after the passing of Queen Elizabeth II on Thursday last week, football's governing body in England decided that the best course of action as a mark of respect would be cancelling football fixtures up and down the country across all levels, Premier League, down to grassroots. It was in line, they said, with the government's national morning guidance, which advised that cancelling games was not obligatory, but it was going to leave decisions open to individual sports. And as a result of that guidance, we did see a lot of top flight sport happening across the country, just not football. So now, as we look back on the weekend that has just been and the games that have been cancelled and a weekend of no football action... We're going to try and work out whether, in retrospect, it was the right call or not from the FA to make that decision. Now, what did you think of this? I mean, we can look back on it now in 
with the benefit of hindsight, which the FA did not have on Friday when they made this decision. Mm. But does it feel like it was the right decision to cancel football this weekend? I have a lot of thoughts on this. And as someone who was meant to be going to games myself this weekend, I was disappointed because with the short notice, which is not to be helped by anyone, with a cost of living crisis in the UK at the moment, many people had already paid for travel to their matches. Many people had already paid for tickets and hotels. So I can understand why that has certainly caused a bit of disappointment to people. However, I can understand the opinion taken by the FA and the decision taken by the stakeholders in the game to postpone all the matches. And the reason I say that is because Prince William is the patron of the FA. Yep. Obviously, it's a, a significant loss to him and his family. The Queen has a long-standing affinity with the game in terms of she's been pictured at Wembley handing out the FA Cup to the winners of the competition as has her grandson, as has her father, as has her mother as well. They've all been sort of affiliated with that competition. And when Princess Diana passed away, a similar protocol was followed in 1997, where all football matches were postponed for the weekend. Which kind of left them nowhere to go. I they couldn't have offered the same respect to Princess Diana and her passing and not offered I that think, to the Queen. I think I have a couple of things to say on this. And I think one that's important to mention is policing. Every Saturday afternoon, up and down the country, police of various forces in different parts of the land are deployed to go to football matches, as is often the case where there's a mass gathering. However, with the increase in security in and around the uh, the situation with the Queen and all of the, the logistics that go around that, I think that's an argument as well. And people don't understand this is that football clubs actually have to pay their local police force to police the matches it's a it's a cost incurred by the football club yeah. and it's a legal requirement so you'd be stunned to see how much clubs actually pay on a match day for the presence of police and they have to do that as part of the requirements of staging a football match so i think that the allocation of resources was probably channeled and funneled elsewhere and therefore that would have made things difficult and actually the efl have announced today that matches will continue tomorrow on tuesday as per the planned schedule. And the reason that they've said that they're allowed to go ahead with that is because they've put in a policing plan in place, which means that they will have enough police there to be able to get the games on. So that City have also announced very similar for their yeah. Champions League game against Dortmund this week. So I think that's one thing. So I can understand for the Premier League and the Football League and to an extent the National League, which is the fifth division of English football, because that's quite professional nowadays as well. What I don't understand is kids' games being called mm. off, grassroots games being called off. Now, we saw the cricket continue. And there was a, a poignant tribute to the Queen. To me, it makes me feel a little bit conflicted because I think it was probably, I'm just swaying on the right decision to call the games off because of the aforementioned reasons. But also it made me feel like the government and the authorities have a lack of trust towards football fans. Maybe. They don't, they don't trust football fans to pay their respects in the right mm -hmm. way. Now, everyone has an opinion on the Queen, whether you're pro-monarchy or not pro-monarchy. I think that whatever the case is, I think the majority of people inside stadiums probably would have shown their respects. Um, I don't feel like the governing bodies felt confident that that would be the case. And I think that that was part of the reason why the decision was taken. However, I don't understand why grassroots matches like kids matches were called off. No. Um, and I know that if you're going to do a blanket cancellation, then you can you can say that, well, the FA says that all games should be called off this weekend. Um, then, then fair enough, but... You know, what, what, what an eight-year-old, nine-year-old... I mean, you've got a young son, Jim. If he had a football match this weekend, I imagine that all of the lads in his team 
would have probably abided by the minute silence, paid their own respects and got on with the game. Yeah, well, it was the first game of the season. It was supposed to be this weekend. Right. And I think the, the, the impact of having, as you say, those under 10s, as his age group is, on a pitch observing a minute's silence would have been far more impactful yeah. for them. They'll remember the way that, they'll, they? Yeah, and the way they'll... Because, I mean, the, the relevance of the Queen to and the royal family and the monarchy, for that matter, to an under 10 mm. in this country is... Negligible. Yeah, exactly. They don't really understand. They don't really have a relationship with the monarchy or the Queen or whoever it is. They're not aware of this 70-year reign that a lot of us are kind of... Yeah. respecting and mourning or whatever it is you had however you want to handle this situation but that would help it bring home just in the same way that the silence on remembrance sunday mm. that they do in schools or whatever that helps deliver that message and helps them understand it's a significant and important moment yeah and it would have been, I th- yeah i agree with you i think it was i think that was a step strange. too far yeah. i understand the games in the premier league being off but i think kids football is a step too far isn't it yeah i mean Niall mentions there, Joel, the fact that other sports didn't observe the ban or the cancellation, particularly cricket. And we saw that moment at Lords, wasn't it, where the Oval, yeah, the Oval, London, yeah. where um, mm. they sung and on mass for probably the very first time, "God Save the Queen," and it was proper, proper the King. Go- God Save the King. Sorry, there you go. There'll be a few it. times that yeah, way. Yeah. <laughs> it was a proper goosebumps moment, and this decision has had a lot of criticism. Do you think part of that criticism is because it was a different action to a lot of other sports took? I feel as though these organisations, they side with football when it suits them. So as Nal just said, you know, when they're handing out an FA Cup trophy to the teams, that's when it suits them. When something like this happens and they're not thinking of all the wider stakeholders like people who have to work on match days, like the businesses who rely on match days to earn an income just at a very difficult time we're about to come into, like all of the people who have only just come out of, let's not forget, a very long lockdown, which affected a lot of people to then have another weekend of emptiness. I just feel as, I'm honestly, personally, I'm really sick of these organisations almost taking the moral high ground with these performative gestures. The, the, the grassroots football aspect is a joke. What benefit or what kind of meaning comes from stopping kids from playing football Mm. on a weekend? What are you getting out of it? You don't stop the policing because kids don't need policing at games. It's the first weekend where they'll actually be able to, you know, play with the friends for a long, long time after a long summer holiday. For me, it's just total, these token gestures where these organisations, they're not doing it for the benefit of anyone. They're doing it to send a message because they're so scared of not being able to show image and being able to respect this event, which, you know, can be respected in its own way. But I remember at the start of the COVID lockdown when Hancock said at the very start that Premier League footballs need to start taking their own effect and they need to start making a contribution too. So for me, it's almost the case of they the side with Premier League and they side with football when it suits them. And like you just mentioned, you know, cricket went on uh, at the weekend. A lot of other sports went on at the weekend. Um, Even grassroots level went on at the weekend in other sports. So for me, it was a complete joke, especially Mm. in the grassroots aspect. Maybe I can understand in the policing, but it's mainly in the capital. So I could understand if it was the London teams that had to postpone it. That's fair enough. I mean, in the north... It's not a great deal going on where the policing needs to be directed elsewhere. So 
I just feel as though it was it was needless. It was really unfair. Yeah. It should have 100% gone on. They've not respected the wider stakeholders. They've not understood the situation that we're about to go into this winter as well and how much yeah. match Where are we going to get stopped. the games in? Well, I want to talk about well, that. Just especially in a World Cup year, this is yeah. a very pe- peculiar year for fixtures, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's two things there. One is we've come off the back of COVID-19, as you said. Well, we're in the middle of COVID-19, but we've come off the back of lockdowns and cancellations. And I think part of the negativity around this decision is due to the fact that we've, we're fed up with stuff being cancelled. Mm. We don't want the plug to be pulled on things anymore because we've had a lot of it over the last 24 months. And secondly, I think you can't tell people how to mourn. And that's across the board. It doesn't matter whether it's a pet or a member of your family or the head of state. You shouldn't be able to dictate on people how they pay their respects and how they mourn a situation. Yeah. It's a hundred percent personal, especially when I, you do it through the through the whole grid mm. of sports as well. Yeah, and I agree with that, but I also think that there is an element of common sense that needs to be taken into consideration. And I totally agree with what you say about people can mourn in their own way. But when you hear former footballers on the radio saying that they threw their Chinese in the bin as a mark of respect, <laughs> it just <laughs> makes you laugh. It makes you, you, you say she you shouldn't wanted. laugh, but do you know what I mean? It's uh, yeah. it's ridiculous. Some of the things that have been cancelled, you know. You know that, that's the biggest point, cancelled. Mm. I think these organisations are so scared of doing yeah. the wrong thing. I think if they would have let football go ahead, and something a fan shouted something in one game, and that made the national headlines. That's what I mean. I think it's yeah. just very performative gestures to make sure that they don't give the wrong image to the higher ups. We, we can go round and round on this. Got to but... the point where I don't know what's legitimate and what's a joke anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, I guess the discussion we're having proves how difficult the decision is for the FA. But I, you know, I will say though, the biggest winners of this weekend, I'd say, are Liverpool fans because they have to watch their team this weekend. <laughs> uh, Let's talk about where those games are going to go in. Because I was looking at the fixture list and I can't see a spare weekend. I can't see a free... Sorry, I can't see a spare week, including midweek fixtures, between now and June the 3rd, where they can put midweek games in. There isn't an opportunity. Because we've got either, European football, yeah, haven't we? European football. You've got a World Cup in the middle. You've got Carabao Cup. You've got FA Cup. Well, it's that, always congested, but there isn't a week. So what happens? Well, they'll the just postpone it until see, probably the spring. Well, they postpone what? Where do you put it in the spring? Well, these Premier League fixtures... There's, this... no, there's no gaps until June the 3rd, until at the end of the season. There's no midweek? There's no midweeks. I'm sure someone said in January there 17th, there's like a tiniest gap of okay. a window, potentially. I might have read it wrong, but that was my understanding of it. But Maybe even not. So, I think my view is there's these pointless international friendlies coming up, which no one really cares is it, about. No, but is it pointless, Get though? Because there's a World Cup coming up next month, yeah. two months' I mean, It's time. an impossible question. So what happens? If it means that EFL teams have to play Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, then it might have to be done. Tuesday 17th and Wednesday 18th is a gap. I misread it. So there is an opportunity to play those mm. rearranged fixtures early next year. All right, we're going to leave that there. And we're going to talk about Thomas Tuchel and Graham Potter next, who have both spoken to the fans in various forms after their club exits. We'll do it to wrap up Football Social Daily next. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. 
Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. We're talking Potter, we're talking Tuchel, who have both departed their respective clubs over the last seven days. Graham Potter have penned an open letter to fans over the weekend, whilst Thomas Tuchel took to social media to say he was devastated to be leaving Chelsea and that he was proud to be part of the club's history. We're going to look at both statements from each manager. Let's start with Thomas Tuchel. Fairly dignified statement from Tuchel, I thought this, Joel, but clearly one that was tinged with a little bit of regret. It didn't sound like he felt his time was up at the club. Yeah, I think it's come as a massive shock to him. Um, I spoke to a couple of my Chelsea uh, friend supporters to see what they were thinking of it. And I think in general as a whole, this summer Chelsea fans were pretty surprised by the approach. I think they were relieved at first just because they didn't know what kind of investment was going to come into the club because they've been so used to what Roman Abramovich has been putting into it. And then obviously cleared all the technical directors and basically brought it upon himself to take over all these massive key decision-making roles. I think I remember Thomas Tuchel saying a couple of weeks ago how he really developed a good line of communication with Petr Cech, who was the technical director. And that's how it kind of works really seamlessly. Obviously, he left. And during that time with Tuchel and Todd Bowley, well, during the very brief time together, Tuchel was always giving these very underhanded subliminal comments of things such as, you know, I've been teaching the owners about how to run a football club and I've been mm. teaching them how to, you know, how football works and these kind of things. I don't think these comments would have ever come out in a typical regime or the previous regime. And for Thomas Tuchel to say in his statement how he felt at home and how he's devastated tells you, I think, firstly, just how invested he was in the situation. I think that kind of stems from, you know, the COVID situation and the change of owners but two, just how much he did not see it coming. And so I think Chelsea fans now are feeling a massive air of unpredictability because they don't know how these owners are going to react to certain situations now. And it's still too early to say whether they are the type of owners that are going to get rid quickly because I don't even think it's a results-based thing, this. Mm-hmm. It's six games into the season. They were five points off the top. Losing your first game of a Champions League group is not the end of the world at all. But I think the five-year contract is the owner trying to show the Chelsea fans that actually we're not going to be um, owners who are going to chop and fire as soon as it gets really tough in the kitchen. It's going to be one where they're going to start backing him. But then when you look at, you know, Aubameyang, this is the biggest one for me. He's brought the two, the manager and the player together. Aubameyang's notorious reportedly for not being the easiest player in the squad, if you want to believe what Mikel Arteta says. So to bring them two together was kind of genius. To then let him go three days after mm-hmm. he signed, for me, just tells you that there, there. I think Chelsea fans are right to be very worried about how unpredictable they are, and just after spending two hundred eighty million, they're not prepared to keep someone on who they've planned around and the transfers around. Um, so I definitely don't think it's resource based. I think it's a case of Todd Bowley wanting to completely start afresh with someone who has a different line of communication, judging from what Thomas Tuchel said. He did remind everyone about his success at Chelsea in his parting shot of a statement. He said, The pride and joy I felt at helping the team win the Champions League and the Club World Cup will stay with me forever. Mm. I'm honoured to have been part of this club's history and the memories of the last 19 months and will always have a special place in my heart. 19 months, Champions League, World Club Cup. I mean, no matter what you think of that, trophy it's yeah a bit of silverware I guess he clearly feels like he had a bit of an impact but now the dust settled now does it feel like 
his time at the club was up. Does it feel like he really had the opportunity to get his feet under the table and build the dynasty that no doubt he wanted to build at Chelsea? I'm fuming at Chelsea's owners for this decision. And the more I've thought about it over the weekend, the more annoyed I am with Todd Bowley for making this decision. And I don't understand why the Chelsea fans aren't equally frustrated with it. And without disrespecting both clubs, which I probably will by saying this, they're just a successful Watford, aren't they? <laughs> just sack managers. If things are going well, fine. You're just if a you're not successful going well, Watford. That's all they are. They're just a, a Watford that actually wins stuff, whereas in yeah. Watford are just flitting between the Championship and the Premier League, firing managers willy-nilly. Chelsea are no different to that. It's shocking the way he's been treated, and let me explain to you why. You mentioned his trophies there, Champions League, Club World Cup. Did they win the UEFA Super Cup as well? I think they might have done. They were one screamer away from winning an FA Cup, mm. Yuri Tielemans. They were one penalty away from winning an FA Cup against Liverpool, and they lost on penalties to Liverpool in the Carabao as well. So really, potentially, they could have won two FA Cups and a League Cup in that time under Thomas Tuchel. The reason I'm angry about this is because Thomas Tuchel had to sit there right through the Roman Abramovich departure and answer questions about Russian oligarchy, mm. answer questions about a war in Ukraine, yeah. answer questions about the financial stability of Chelsea Football Club, answer questions about many other things which really were above his pay grade and certainly he was wheeled out to be the face of Chelsea. He was the voice of Chelsea, the mouthpiece, the front man, the spokesperson. Okay, some people might say football managers, because they're the ones that are wheeled out in front of the press, do need to take on that mantle. I agree to a certain extent. But what I don't agree with is why he was having to answer questions about things that were totally away from what he's paid to do. Yeah, it's true. And then for them to, for him to have won what he's won with Chelsea, I mean. he, go through that period of the most difficult period in Chelsea's recent history. There is no question about that. The new owner comes in and then he goes and sacks the man who's kept Chelsea together and stopped Chelsea from falling apart because, let's face it, lesser managers would have utterly crumbled mm. under the situation that Chelsea found themselves in last season. I'm disappointed, really disappointed with the way that Chelsea have handled the Thomas Tuchel situation. And I think Todd Bowley now, Graham Potter must have some sort of seed in the back of his mind and thinks this guy is an erratic owner and could get rid of me at any second. If, Tom, if Graham Potter doesn't win any of his first six or seven games in charge of Chelsea. Yeah. Will he fire him again? I think uh, both Graham Potter and Chelsea are taking a risk in this one, aren't they? Graham Potter potentially because he doesn't know how secure his job is. Chelsea because Graham Potter at the level of Chelsea Football Club is still an unproven manager despite his success, inverted commas, with Brighton. I want to talk about Graham Potter's statement as well because he wrote a fairly lengthy open letter to Brighton fans. It was published via the Brighton Hove Albion official website. When you looked at that letter, Niall, was there anything that jumped out at you from what he was saying? Or was it all just kind of platitudes and standard, I'll be gutted to leave, etc.? Well, there was the the one thing he said, wasn't it? And, you know, obviously he's been at, at Brighton now for a while. And when he first came into that managerial job from Ostersunds in Sweden, I think it was, he came with a reputation of doing a really good job there. I think he built that Swedish club up from the second or third division mm. up to the top tier, the Allsvenskan. And then I think he got them into the Europa League as well, where they ended up playing Arsenal. And that's when a lot of people first had Graham Potter on their radar, just because Ostersunds came up against Arsenal. So... Considering the journey he's been on, you think only, what, sort of eight or nine years ago he was managing a Swedish team in the second division. He's come to Brighton, done an unbelievable job there, and Chelsea come knocking. Mm. You can understand why he's he's tried to take that 
opportunity. Although, given the recent events with that Swedish team, I forget the name, Ostersund, was it? Ostersund, yeah. yeah. They made, there's, um, there's some debate as to how credible that success is, given the financial irregularities and management of that football club, okay. and the owner has recently gone to prison. I believe for right. uh, for the four okay. Well, I was not aware injecting of injecting cash into that football club, so okay. that might have helped him out with that bit of success. But not that's a key detail. <laughs> yeah, but well, not even if we just problems. take Brighton as an isolated case, he's done a very good job yeah. there. But obviously, Brighton has a, an exceptional structure with an owner who's got his head completely screwed on. Tony Bloom knows what he's doing. Their recruitment has been spot on. They've been patient. They replaced Chris Hewton with Graham Potter, who at the time um, was someone who had kept Brighton in the Premier League, and that seemed like an unpopular decision across neutral Premier League fans that, you know, when Graham Potter came in, they were playing better football, but they still finished 17th and just above the relegation zone. But last year to finish in the top 10 is a great achievement. You know, he's he's managed to turn uh, average players into very good players. And I think that's testament to mm. him. But from the letter, something that did jump out was, I may not to be able to persuade you all to forgive my departure, but I'd at least like the chance to say thank you. And then he said, I hope you understand I had to grasp a new opportunity. That mm. bit I get, I totally get, because, you know, Chelsea are a, are a big club and as much as I'm frustrated with them with the way they've binned off Thomas Tuchel um, uh, I do think that if you're Graham Potter and in that position you just have to take the opportunities football is a ruthless game but I may not be able to persuade all of you to forgive my departure which makes me think that there are a lot of Brighton fans out there from what he said or at least the noise he's heard that are a bit upset with Graham Potter but I don't see how they can be I think no. with no with no um, disrespect to Brighton they need to remember that you know, they're a club that 10, 15 years ago were struggling to stay in business and were in League Two. And they've done amazingly, much like Bournemouth, to kind of rise up through the ranks. And OK, they've kind of established themselves now. They've got an excellent training ground, a good stadium, um, good players, a good owner. But they're still Brighton and Hove Albion and they're mm. not Chelsea. And I think that you just need to accept that sometimes that there is a pecking order in football. I think that's it. And he's clearly either expecting or had some negativity around this decision to move Joel from fans that are no doubt the same fans that booed him off the pitch when Brighton drew nil nil with Leeds. Leeds yeah, that, I'm that shocked at that still. Yeah, yeah, very surprising. But I think, and with all respect to Brighton, it's a case of they need to know their place a little bit, don't they? And I'd say the same if a bigger club came knocking for David Moyes. Not that that's ever going to happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> Why? Because West Ham are massive. Yeah, yeah. there is no but, bigger but, club. But there is there is a pecking order. There is a hierarchy, and it's not like. He's gone to Bournemouth, for example. He's not just gone down the coast to a rival club. He's gone to a bigger club that are achieving different things. So there can't be too much negativity around Graham Potter making this call. Yeah, just that that example you did of them booing, it just it lives in my head, my head rent free. That <laughs> honestly, because it was only I, a section of their fans, we have to say. But, but it's even still, sti- pretty even still, it's just we always said, be careful what you wish for, because it's going to be interesting to see who they replace him with. But with your point. Everyone has to understand that when a big club like Chelsea come in for someone, it's just the same in any profession. When you get a massive salary rise and the opportunity to work with some of the best players in the world, in the biggest competition in the world, in the Champions League, of course you're going to take it. But I do really feel sorry for the fans of these clubs where they feel like they're starting to chip away at you know the top eight, potentially the top six. And then suddenly they're back to square one again where they lose all of the players, they lose the guy who's taken them to that position. And it's almost the case as if to say, do we just accept this position now, which is we've got a solid top six, and every time one of the teams below them starts to break away and potentially has a challenge to breach them, they basically just get told to sit back down again. 
I can imagine it is really frustrating that, but this is how football works. There's a kind of hierarchy of clubs that have been able to get to that point either by their history or by a massive takeover which kind of checkmates everyone else and goes over them and pushes them up into the line with all the bigger clubs. So it's almost the case like you're fighting a losing battle all the time because unless Brighton get this Abu Dhabi takeover in the next two to three years, <laughs> they're never just gonna they're never gonna be able to say to Chelsea, actually, and Graham Potter's never gonna say to Chelsea, actually, I'm at a club who's gonna be investing a ridiculous amount of money in the next two years. We're gonna be on the same level as you soon, so no, respectfully, I'm gonna decline your offer. Mm-hmm. Now it's a case of Brighton, Chelsea, Champions League, top eight every season. There's not really a there's no contest, is it? And I do feel for them, but unless and we've seen before, you know, with Leicester winning the Premier League, even if you win the Premier League, your plays are still going to go. Yeah. So you kind of have to build this prestige and this aura around your club, which makes you a desirable top six club again. Uh, as we saw, you know, for example, in Manchester City, I mean, no player wanted to go there until they started being able to show money to all the bigger players. So unless that happens, it's always going to happen. It is kind of bad. But there's they're a, a high, brilliant there's a hierarchy. Club, oh, they're, they're incredibly run. But they've got a 30,000 seater stadium they're in an area that's never going to be able to capture a huge amount of fans but they're a, they're a, they're a nice club they do a low for the community but if you're a football manager with aspirations to win then there's no choice but i've heard reports that i think a staggering amount of people have applied for the brighton job like ridiculous amount of people and brighton are going through each application individually which shows what the club has built to attract this many managers mm. i think something I, i'm probably misquoting here but I saw something I think that said there's probably been over 200 applications well, you know who I'd love to see there 50% of them champ- uh, the, like people's football manager CVs <laughs> just <got laughs> I was just thinking <laughs> anyone applying to the Premier League you know who I'd love to see manage there I don't think it would happen I'd love to see Pochettino give a crack at wow. just to see how he can yeah, develop that squad even more. He's already more. managed a middling South Coast club that doesn't win anything so <laughs> he doesn't need to try that again Portsmouth fan now there <laughs> it's a lovely part of the world Brighton I think it would be awesome quite an interesting live, yeah. challenge for him. Very nice. Right, well, good luck to Graham Potter in his new role at Chelsea manager. Yet to play that first game, obviously. Hopefully it will take place next weekend. There is no official confirmation whether it will or not yet, but we are expecting Premier League fixtures to go ahead next weekend. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. Don't forget, we'll be back later with a quick update in the shape of Football Social Daily shots. So make sure you have subscribed so you never miss an episode. See you later. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.